This episode was written by Serena Hockey. Today the United States is colorful, loud, and passionate. Immigrants of all races abound, and in 2008, the first black president was elected. While this is good news for many Americans, the reality that soon whites will no longer be the largest racial group in the United States is extremely frightening to others. Additionally, the economic despair experienced by white blue-collar workers in the last few decades, seen in the growing wage gap and loss of middle and low-income jobs, is depressing for many. The white working class is now feeling squeezed out by both the highly educated professional class and immigrants. Finally, terrorism and the recent proliferation of terrorist attacks is another threat that has caused many Americans to become fearful and aggressive, especially towards outsiders. For some, this increasingly obvious shift in the century-old status quo, the idea that no longer being the majority of possibly being racially, economically, or socially disadvantaged is terrifying. What does this mean for our political system? There are two major ways that this is hurting our political system, through chaos syndrome and democratic deconsolidation. Chaos syndrome, or the chronic decline in the political system's capacity for self-organization, is a term that was coined by Jonathan Rauch in the summer of 2016 in anticipation of the presidential election and in response to the political gridlock in Washington. Chaos syndrome begins with the breakdown of the influence of political parties and political leaders. Without these middlemen, or brokers, to cut deals, hold politicians accountable, and explain political jargon to the public, the system falls apart. This system failure can help explain why, while political parties are weaker than ever, partisanship is higher than ever, and why politicians seem to be acting for themselves and themselves alone. As times change and increasingly radical agendas are proposed, politicians have to make sometimes polarizing decisions about the legislation and policies they will pass. As with any controversial issue, some groups become alienated and distrustful of a government that they no longer feel represents them or aligns with their political views. So the public trust declines and political parties begin to break down. They lose their intelligible boundaries and are no longer able to enforce norms or have norms at all. Political parties have not had a stronghold on the nominating process since the McGovern-Fraser reforms in the early 1970s, which transformed the nominating process through democratization. National conventions used to be where deals were cut, candidates were peer-reviewed, and where party bosses had the ultimate say in the party's final choice of candidate. But today, they are just the rubber stamp on the predetermined primaries. Representability, accountability, and electability are no longer qualifying factors since the party bosses have no way to ensure these and the candidates end up being very individualistic and radical. One can see how this would be the start of a long, slow, downward spiral. Individualistic candidates get into office and fail to pass legislation that represents their constituents, leading to public anger. According to Rausch, public anger is a sign of governmental dysfunction and leads to more political distrust. Seemingly unbeknownst to many, legislation cannot be passed without constituent support. And because the middlemen are gone, they cannot cut backdoor deals. Nothing gets done, and the cycle continues. So what is democratic deconsolidation? If this distrust and gridlock continue, what the country will be experiencing is something Roberto Fau and Yasha Monk call democratic deconsolidation. Actually, we have already begun to experience this deconsolidation. But as support for democratic institutions dwindle, the U.S. will feel the effects of deconsolidation more strongly. 
Democratic deconsolidation is the idea that, especially among young people, support for key democratic institutions and values are declining, causing a rise in political apathy, a sense of unwillingness to advance one's political issues or qualms, and an openness to authoritarian-like alternatives to government. Key democratic institutions, such as free and fair elections and civil rights, while still endorsed by millennials, seem to be less important to them than older generations. Additionally, the decline of civic engagement on behalf of younger generations is decreasing the health of our democracy. Fow and Monk propose a few possible causes. For the first time in over a century, children are not expected to make more money than their parents, and social mobility is more difficult than it previously was. Additionally, social and cultural structures are shifting and people do not feel like democracy is protecting them from the evils of the world. Finally, the gridlock and corruption in Washington is infuriating and depressing. All of these things are making both the rich and the poor look to other regimes for possible solutions. So is Trump an anomaly? Ultimately, while Trump is radical and definitely an anomaly in some respects, I do not think that his election or victory is inexplicable. The reforms that our democracy has faced beginning in the 1970s, along with the decline of political party influence and the rise of polarization and gridlock, has contributed to an extreme case of chaos syndrome. Citizens are frustrated that little legislation is being passed, so their trust in government and democratic institutions as a whole are lessening, leading possibly to deconsolidation. All of this, tied up with the fear of physical and social threats, as well as economic despair, are causing previously democracy-loving citizens to look for something or someone that looks like an authoritarian populist. I think they found their guy.